Are we ready to, to move on? Is that okay? And this is, oh boy, oh boy. Um, I can't remember if I mentioned that I'm half Irish. Sorry, that's got, you said it's got what's the cause of being transgender. I'm half Irish. Well, it just means that I've got a particular personal interest in the whole situation in Northern Ireland. My grandfather was in the original IRA and uh, wrote ministry memoirs and he actually laid down his arms and, after 1922, so and didn't talk about it because him and my grandmother had a really different view on that. Pff, boy, if you think leave and remain, Brexit stuff is difficult. You try talking to people in Ireland about which side they're on in relation to the troubles. But the reason I mention that is that um, there was uh, a woman once who was on television, and she was in Northern Ireland, and, uh, and she was being interviewed by, by somebody on uh, TV, and she said, ah, to be sure, if you're not confused, you don't really know what's going on. <laughs> okay, so... If you're not confused about transgender, you don't really know what's going on. It is incredibly confusing and complicating. And I just want to start off with a couple of examples. So, uh, yeah, people recognize who this is? Caitlin Jenner? Okay, so uh, this is Bruce Jenner, who was a male gold medal, I think, winning American Olympian. Six foot two, pretty hench kind of guy who in his 50s, I think, late 40s, early 50s, decided that he was really a woman. He'd always felt so on the inside. And so he uh, transitioned to be a, form a woman. And there uh, he is as a woman. She so had surgery, had hormone replacement, and so on. Of course, still six foot two and built pretty big as well. And um, one of the things that's really striking about that, I don't know how, how you respond to that image, I don't think it's unfair to say that as Caitlyn Jenner, Bruce Jenner now looks like what, Caitlyn Jenner now looks like what Bruce Jenner would have thought a woman ought to look like. And I mention that because that's one of the really um, difficult uh, conflicts around the whole question of transgender. If a man uh, says, do you know, on the inside I feel like a woman, I think any woman's got a reasonable case to say, how do you know? How do you know? Because you only actually know women from the outside. And that begins to open up some of the controversies which we'll see around this whole issue. Um, again, we've mentioned um, Christians coming under pressure. This was a headliner uh, July, earlier this year. David Macarith, a Christian doctor, quote, sacked over trans beliefs. Now, again, he, I think his case is one that's being pursued by the Christian Institute. There are lots of complications just to the material facts of the case. But there's an example of how the whole transgender issue is in the news. Um, this, again, you may have seen this, depending on how much time you spend on Twitter or social media. Uh, if you recognize um, Sharon Davis, she was an Olympic swimmer in the 90s, I think. Uh, somewhere then, okay. And she's been quite interesting as, a, as an outspoken feminist who, as a feminist, arguing for women's causes in athletics, she questions the current transgender moment that we're in, the transgender movement. Because what's happening increasingly now is that men who transition to be women are now entering into women's sports events, and guess what's happening? They're winning. So Sharon Davis says this is actually 
unfair on women. And one of the examples, well-known examples, is Casta Semenya, who's a South African athlete. Now, she isn't transgender, but um, she has an intersex condition. And the reason why she, from a young girl, was classified as female is that she didn't have male genitalia. But it turns out she is chromosomally XY. So that, again, the, some women feel it's unfair because chromosomally, actually, Casasomenia is a man and therefore has an advantage because there's high levels of testosterone. And so there's a whole complicated debate about what the regulations are about how, what levels of testosterone somebody can have to qualify to be in enter a woman's event. So that just gives you a picture of how even outside the church, even in culture, this is a really complex question. And it's worth just asking how on earth we got to this situation. And if you feel that this is all unbelievably quick and it's like a sort of whirlwind of change, you would be right. I think this whole transgender question has really only come up in the last four or five years. And not much, not much more than that. But, again, it's the, the reason why it's all happened very quickly is because it's a kind of perfect storm of a whole series of trends in culture and in changes in the way people think about what it means to be human, which have been brewing since the 1950s, at least. And in 1955, um, someone called John Money, who was a sexologist, I think the correct term is, that was when he was the person who coined the term gender. And it's relatively recent. You know, people often quite say, you have on a form, you have to tick, what gender are you? Okay? Historically, you wouldn't have ticked that. You'd have ticked, what sex are you? But John Coyne, um, termed, uh, Coyne, he coined, John Money coined, the term, sorry, Money coined the word, he coined the term gender in 1955. And, and it really, the language of gender really gathered pace in the 1960s because part of the feminist movement was to distinguish biological sex from social role. Because the argument goes, in the swinging 60s, why should my physical body determine what place I have in society? You can see how broadly that question has been asked. And uh, again, it seems to be fascinating that that question is being pressed harder and harder. So again, even just earlier today on the radio, Radio 4, Again, people raising the question of Every time you see a woman who's the first woman, I saw, I read on social media earlier today, the first American woman pilot of the latest fighter. So you're, you're constantly, again, that question is not, is not at all exhausted. Why should our physical bodies, our physical sex, determine our social role? Now, you might have an answer to that one way or the other, but you just need to know that's the question. And the language of gender gender roles is the way in which um, the question has been asked. But what happened then is that there was an inward turn in terms of thinking about our gender. And that inward turn was given momentum by the movement for gay liberation, gay sexuality. Because if you're arguing for the acceptance of gay sexuality, what you're arguing for is to say, look, it's not my physical identity, my physical biological sex that really matters. What matters is my inner disposition. So if I am consistently attracted to other men, that defines me, that's more important in terms of my identity than the fact that I happen to be, have a male body. 
Hence, Johannes, who's really come down to you last week, because he's gay, he can step into the female role in a dancing couple. Because what matters in terms of identifying him is not his physical body so much as his sex identity, which is sexual orientation, which is an interior thing. You can't measure it, you can't find it, you can't do surgery and excavate it. It's a non-physical thing, it's a psychological disposition. And that's why, then, um, transgenderism was actually previously called transsexuality because it was um, about changing your sex identity from mostly from female to male and until about 10, 10 years ago less until about six years ago transsexuality was primarily a phenomenon of middle-aged men um, and it was almost entirely unknown either amongst women so it's primarily men transitioning to be uh, women, uh, so and almost never women transition to be men, and it was almost exclusively men in their late 40s, 50s, 60s, and not at all uh, connected with young people at, um, whatsoever. So you then get this grouping of lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, because these are all, um, as it were, minority sexualities in culture, who group together in order to advocate for recognition and for their rights. And of course, you'll have seen that then, well, if, if we don't have to be binary in our sexuality, then we can not only like men and women, but we can like sexuality in, in, in other ways. So you then have the development of polyamory. You then have people who say, well, I'm asexual, also I'm queer, which means that actually I'm completely destructing any categories of sexuality. So you then get LGBTQI intersex and, and so on, and a whole string of other Things. You can, if you search hard, you can find a definition of 300 different kinds of, of sexuality. And the particular question we're facing is a really, really recent one. And it's, it's been for a long time among psychiatrists and psychologists recognized as a serious uh, and debilitating issue when people feel that their physical sex identity is at odds with their internal sense of who they are. And that used to be called gender identity disorder because it was seen to be something that was problematic. And it was only relabeled, and it was driven by the American Psychiatric, Psychiatric Society in America, as gender dysphoria in 2013. And that was a move to say, okay, we reject the idea that this is any kind of disorder, there's anything wrong here. Actually, if we have gender dysphoria, it means that our bodies, our physical sex, does not reflect our internal sense of sex identity. That is not wrong. It's a problem that needs to be fixed, but it's not a psychiatric disorder. Uh, and if actually the thing that really matters is my own interior sense, then I need to change my body in order for that to um, uh, be put right. And then, of course, now we've got the situation of finding ourselves with campaigns in school and teaching and partic a particular group is um, mermaids who've been got into all sorts of trouble for some of the things that they've been teaching now that's how we've got where we are what's going on in terms of the issues I think there are three kinds of issues here the first is um, a sense of what I would call gender nonconformity and going back to that picture of, of, of Bruce Jenner now Caitlyn Jenner the question is how did Bruce Jenner know what he needed to look like if he was going to make the transition from being a man to being a woman? And the answer is, he had to look at those around. 
In other words, what's happening with transgenderism, and again, I think the reason why it's um, become a big issue right now for us is because of uh, the way that social media categorizes people in terms of social roles. Because the internet is a very visual medium, it means that you're tending to find, particularly amongst young people, my observation is you find a greater conformity to distinct social roles, to distinct appearances between men and women. And what that can then do is intensify a sense that, you know what, I don't fit in with the sex that I'm supposed to be. I look at for instance, a teenage girl, I look at all these Instagram pictures of all these beautiful girls, teenage girls with great cheekbones and whatever, I don't conform to that. And so you have this sense of not belonging to the social uh, identity of your gender. There is a second issue, which is a, a serious clinical psychiatric issue. It is incredibly, it has been up till now, an incredibly small group of people, very small less than a half of 1% of the population who suffer from this kind of condition. I think now in the last five years, things are changing because so many more people are claiming, because they're gender non-conforming in terms of social terms, they're now saying, ah, oh, I am transgender, I have gender dysphoria. There is a third issue, and it's quite separate, and that is intersex conditions. Castor Semen is an example of that. Again, it's a really, really tiny percentage of the population. Uh, it's not for those in clinical work it actually the term intersex is not used there are about 17 different conditions actually related here and it affects probably 0.017% of the population so it's a, it, it is clinically a very small issue and the paradox that we're in now is because culturally my own orientation my inner life has now become so important that we've got a paradox that in, in the transgender movement People are saying, I must do have surgery and clinical intervention to change my body, which is now malleable because we now believe in plastic surgery. My body is malleable, changeable, and that needs to be changed to conform to my inner sense of feeling, which seems to me highly paradoxical. And it raises a question of how we respond to this sense of the people have of a mismatch between internal and external identifiers. What, what, what should we respond? If someone comes and says, I, biologically I'm like this, but actually I feel inside I'm like that, then it raises the question of how um, we respond to that. Um, just an observation, and I think an article which I read a little while ago which really helps to throw insight on this. It's um, oh, actually rather ago, August 2019, How Feminism Paved Away with Transgenderism. Um, and the author is, uh, sorry, Michael Biggs, his name is. And he just says this, the foundational premise for feminism is that every difference between males and females in attitudes and behavior is due to socialization. There are no socially relevant biological differences above the neck. Thus, the same feminists who denounce male violence and sexual ob ob objectification also endorse Cordelia Fine, these are two American um, commentators in this area, and Gina Rippon for arguing there are no differences between male and female brains. There are some obvious problems with this premise. Why are humans the only mammalian species where evolution did not produce sexual differences in behavior? Why are some sex differences remarkably uniform? across different cultures. And he goes on to say, if society denies biological differences and does not rigidly enforce gender roles, then the way is cleared for transgenderism. Being a man or a woman or neither becomes a matter of subjective feeling. 
If my argument is correct, then feminists need to rethink their premise that all observed differences in behavior between women and men are due to socialization, that humans are blank slates. Biological differences provide a solid foundation for sex segregation, that is, differentiation. They justify the exclusion of males, however they identify, from women's refuges and prisons, and from toilets and changing areas, just as they justify the separation of sports. I think that's a really helpful observation because you can see why the transgender debate is not isolated from all the other debates that we're having. It's also the reason why I never say to people, when they say, why do you believe that God made men male and female? I never say, because the Bible told me. Because then you're really unhelpfully pitting the Bible against social reality. I will always do, in, this, in the debate about transgender, I will always say what Michael Biggs says and say, how do I know that, God, that humanity is male and female? Because science tells me, not the Bible. And that's why, at the moment, the whole transgender issue is in such tension and debate and conflict because feminists like Sharon Davis are beginning to realize some of the consequences for women of what a previous generation of feminists have argued. At first, it looked like a good thing for women to say, do you know what, social roles and physical, physical biology are unconnected. Now it's looking a really bad thing. Because if you say they're unconnected, then men can say, okay, if I'm going to be a woman, like I am really internally, there's nothing to prevent me from having access to areas which previously have been segregated to be for women only. Um, I think I'm probably just going to leave you <laughs> with a list of issues. I, I don't think I can pretend to give you a straightforward answer to all these things. I would point out a couple of books um, that, that are useful and interesting. If you want a really short book, there's a little talking point book by Vaughan Roberts just called Transgender. If you really want to wrestle with the big issues here, then a really, really excellent book is by Mark Yarhouse, and it's called Understanding Gender Dysphoria. And um, he is a Christian psychiatrist, so he's writing with psychiatric technical expertise. One of the things that's really useful about him is he distinguishes between our position on this issue and our posture on this issue. And in relation to position, he says very clearly those sorts of things that actually when we let go of the idea that we're made male and female and that, and that there is an objective reality of sex identity we're going to get into trouble but he also says in the current debate what posture do we adopt do we actually adopt a posture which says to people do you know what we're going to value you and accept you we might not agree with you but we're going to engage and his observation is that part of the reason why Christians in the church have got into difficulty on this issue as with the issue on, on same-sex relationships is that our position has given us a posture where we're not actually engaging and we don't look like we're listening. So that's really helpful. It is quite technical. The middle section does look at, in detail, all the 17 different issues around intersex. So there is some, some divine biology. Um, another, and finally, just a third book, which is really interesting but incredibly challenging. This is called Transgender Children and Young People. And if you're at all concerned about the transgender issue, I'd recommend you go to their website. Their website is called Transgender Trend. And the reason why they're important is they are an explicitly non-religious group of parents of transgender children 
who do not agree with transgender ideology. And they, on the website, they've got lots of research evidence uh, which supports their position. And in fact, this book, it was a bit expensive, so you can look at it, but if, only buy it if you're really interested. And this is a collection of essays critiquing transgender ideology from a whole series of non-religious, non-Christian, philosophical and cultural positions, uh, including queer theory, deconstruction, radical feminism, and so on. So it's, again, really interesting that there are a lot of people out there who are very unhappy with the direction things are going, not least because of the harm done to children. And there's increasing evidence now that early intervention in children who say, I'm transgender, is doing irreparable harm. Because once you intervene in puberty, you actually create changes in the body which are irreversible. Um, there was a really, I don't know if any of you saw it, um, January a year ago, there was a really interesting film about that, that issue. And the tragic end of it was interviewing someone in their 20s who'd had intervention and said, well, basically, I'd been rendered infertile and I was badly advised. And the film centers around a, a Canadian psychiatrist who was actually uh, struck off. But he was doing really legitimate research. And he, one of his theories is that um, those who identify, young people who identify as transgender, actually, they're simply same-sex attracted. But they find that difficult to accept. So they then want to change sex so that their other sex attracted. And also, he pointed out that in his experience, 90% of young people who identified as transgender in their teens, the issue resolved within 10 years by the time they got into their 20s. And therefore, early intervention is actually addressing an issue which actually would have resolved itself over time. So the questions we we've, are, are presented with this is the, what is the relationship between physical sex and gender social roles? Uh, what are the limits to human freedom? Are we free to intervene to change our bodies? Before you say, no, we are not, please bear in mind that I've had various operations, I've had back trouble, I'm wearing contact lenses. We are technologically in an era, era where we do intervene. Any of you have had a hip replacement? We, we are in an era where we do medically intervene in the body to correct what we perceive as a fault. And the question is, how are there limits to that? How important are our bodies? Is sex difference something which is inherent to who we are? What is the relationship between body and mind? And how do we respond to something that's damaging to children? How do we respond to incoherence? I think for me, when I engage with transgender issues, uh, it descends into incoherence very, very, very quickly. When you just sort of press some questions. I did only have one successful discussion uh, online uh, on social media. And in the end, I pressed the person I was debating with, who challenged me in all sorts of things. And I said, do you believe we have sexed souls? He said, no, I don't think I'm claiming that. I said, well, if you don't believe that, on what grounds do you argue that there is such a thing as transgenderism and that people should change their bodies from one sex to another? That, I think, is just kind of mapping out the issues. Um, I hope that brings a little bit of clarity, uh, if not resolution. So I don't know, again, whether you just want to turn to your neighbour and pick that up or whether you want to ask questions back or... Lee, what? yeah, turn, turn to your neighbour again, just sort of...